Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast. We talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. Then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012. It's now the 27th day of January. 2017, I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from a baseball studio in Pasadena, California, overlooking the historic Rose Bowl. Hey, how many of you go to my site? I'm thinking about doing some major revamping to sullybaseball.com. I don't know if it even matters anymore. Remember, we've got to that point, you know, that in, in 2017, the concept of a website is kind of passe that used to be the future and i guess that goes it's a valuable lesson for all of us is that what seems to be the cutting edge what seems to be like the 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 forefront the vanguard can change before you know it i i mean i even say at the end of the 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 podcast i do is I, I often say, if you want to be old school, send me an email. And I'm old enough to remember when email was considered to be revolutionary. Now it's what old farts do. You know, now it's say you look back, you, oh man, you're using email. Who uses email anymore? A website? You're spending time on a website? Jeez, just go to this and this. There will be a time, and it will come soon, that using things like iTunes, and Twitter, and YouTube will get people to roll their eyes and say, well, way to go, Gramps. Way to go. We now use Chakabaka or something. Something called Chakabaka will be out there and everyone will use it. You don't believe me? Look back and Google it. Google Imagine if I came up to you in 1995 and you said, oh, where, where, where can I find out the best information about past World Series winners? And my response was, Google it. You would have thought I had lost my mind. Google it. My email's on Yahoo. What? What do you even say? What are those words? I saw it on YouTube. On What? It sounds stupid, but there will be something that is really dumb sounding that will just be part of our vernacular. You know, we watch it on Hulu. You don't, I don't watch t- TV. I Hulu it. I go on Hulu. We sound like freaking Teletubbies because that's what happens. We, we, we move on. And there's something that will be sound so stupid that, you know, in retrospect, it sounds dumb, but they, well, as it's happening, like, yeah, it makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. And eventually you become an old fogey. And you complain about how things used to be better. You hear that from some players. You see that, you know, Mike Schmidt and Rich Gossage have talked about, you know, players don't respect this and that. Rich Gossage was was someone who was considered to be a rebellious person. A lot of people rolled their eyes that he was a multimillionaire for being a relief pitcher. Back in my days, they went nine innings and blah, blah, blah. Rich Gossage is a classic old man sitting on a the porch complaining about how in my days we did things right. In his days, he played 
he twice went out for free agency, became a millionaire for being a specialist, got in fight, picked fights with ownership, picked fights with his own teammates. I guarantee you, if we went back and we read what players were saying about Rich Gossage in the late 70s, early 1980s, people would be saying, in my days, we stayed with one team. If you're a starting pitcher, you finish the game, and you wouldn't be picking fights with your team, you would have respect for your owner, unlike that Rich Gossage. We will have players who we watch today who will eventually become old farts complaining about in 2030 or 2040 and everything like that. Please, please, for the love of everything decent on this planet, if I start becoming, in my days, just just beat me with a snow shovel. Now, that isn't to say that I can't be nostalgic for the games that I watched as a kid because that was those were the games I saw as a kid. That was where I, I grew up, and I have wonderful fondness. And I do think the baseball of the 1980s does get shortchanged in history because I think you know there was no dominant team and everything. So I find myself praising the 80s and 80s players, but that's because there's a certain amount of human nature. I mean, also completely have knowledge that uh, players are better now. Pitchers are better now. Hitters are better now. The quality of the game is better now. It just is. The strategy is better now. Our knowledge of everything in baseball is superior now to what it used to be. It, and in 20 years, it'll be superior then. So that's just a fact. Those are, those are how things evolve. That's how things we progress. Now, I mentioned on the, the website, Sully Baseball, uh, I'm doing a thing this year called the Card of the Day. The Sully Baseball Card of the Day. And it's basically a surreal exercise from your pal Sully to just sort of go through the baseball cards I have in my closet and take a picture of one and write about the player. It's, it's, an, it's a writing, actually, it keeps me writing. I've had a couple people who have been following me since I was a blog before I was a podcast and saying, I miss reading your, your, what you used to write. I've had more than one person say, you used to write a lot of blog posts, and I miss those blog posts. And so this is a way for me to, do you know what? You're going to get 365 podcasts and blog posts this year. I'm giving you content. And for every day, just, just I pull out a card and take a picture of it, and I write about it. And I talk about it. And sometimes I find out interesting things about the player. Sometimes I talk about how silly the card looks. And it's just a nice little exercise. It doesn't take me a lot of time. But it just, it's, it's fun. And the one I did that's posted today is of Rich Gossage. It's his Kellogg's 3D card. And if you're Kellogg's, you have those 3D cards you get in your, your, your Rice Krispies or Frosted Flakes. And like we sent away to get the whole collection of them. And so I had those scattered around. And the 3D, it's just, it wasn't really 3D, it's more blurry background. And this was your Rich Gossage. It was his 1978 one, so he was a member of the Yankees. But the picture they would have on it would be of always how he, where he played the year before, 77 in this case. And so it was Gossage in a Pirates uniform, yellow Pirates uniform. And I wrote a little bit about it and, you know, the fact that he's best remembered for being a Yankee and being a Padre. And so here he is as a Pirate and, 
and basically talking a little bit about his life and his career and some of my thoughts about Gossage. But there's a very interesting subplot about Rich Gossage. Rich Gossage is in the Hall of Fame. He is one of the few relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame. And quite frankly, there should be only a few relief pitchers in the Hall of Fame. If you know me, and I know I do, you know that I have always been a fan of relief pitchers. I wanted to be a relief pitcher. I wanted to be like Tug McGraw coming out of the game and getting it done. And I know it's a specialist position. And so I really think there have, there have only been a handful of relievers that I think should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and, and I think that uh, I'm not going to count John Smoltz because he spent the majority of his career as a starting pitcher. I am going to include Dennis Eckersley because he pretty much split his time as a starter and as a reliever. And it was his time as a reliever that put him over the top. So I'd have Eckersley in there. I would have Mariano Rivera in there. And I would have Hoyt Wilhelm in there. I would have Fingers and I would have Gossage. I don't think I would have Suter. He's in the Hall of Fame. I don't object to it. I'm not going to egg his plaque. But I don't think he did it for long enough. I wouldn't have Hoffman, who, like Lee Smith, blew too many big games for me in a specialist position, and your only memories of the big games are walking off the field losing it. I'm sorry. That's part of your job and part of your your description. Uh, I think two pitchers, Billy Wagner and... Dan Quisenberry have more compelling cases than Suter and Hoffman, but that's neither here nor there. If Hoffman gets in, again, I won't protest. They just, he probably wouldn't have gotten my vote. Gossage would have. I think part of it is he was a pioneer. One of the things that I wrote, and, and Gossage brings this up all the time, but you see in some of those years that he was pitching for the White Sox pitching for the Pirates that one year, pitching for the Yankees, that he would average about two and a third, two and two thirds innings per appearance. That the whole concept of what the fire, he was a fireman, that they were called firemen back there. They came in to put out the fire, and it was beyond just getting the one inning. And this is not me being old man Sully, this is just me saying, yeah, this is, it was a harder job. And it means he couldn't compile 50, 60 saves a year because his arm would fall off if he did that. And he was in a position to lose more. The more innings you pitch, the more likely you may be in a position to have someone jack one out of the ballpark. You know, saves are a strange stat anyway, and I think they're a bad metric for the quality of a relief pitcher. I think this is one of the things we're starting to learn over the last couple of years, the way that the Royals use their bullpen, and certainly the way Francona used the bullpen this last World Series, is you're going to start seeing managers realize, look, it, don't worry about the saves. Let's use our best relievers when we need them. And I, I have a feeling you're going to start to see bullpen construction differently. But this was Gossage and Fingers came around at the time when people were still figuring that out. They're figuring out how the hell do we use a bullpen. And you saw Sparky Anderson use everyone, but the, you know, throw everything but the kitchen sink at him. And the A's kind of figured out some stuff. And eventually La Russa found the sort of the factory way to do it by having, you know, everyone has their slotted inning and they throw their one inning. And, it, you know, it certainly worked. But here's the thing that I wanted to bring up about Gossage and his Hall of Fame candidacy. He got into the Hall of Fame 
basically from what I just said, he was a pioneer in many ways. He was a one of the few superstar relievers and with fingers and to a lesser degree suitor created a new position, a new role, a new kind of star. I just bit my tongue while I said that. And we almost didn't have that happen for Gossage. It almost didn't happen because if you write a list of pitchers who have made the All-Star game as a starter and as a reliever, there are a few names on there that I bet you would probably guess. Eckersley, of course, would be on both. John Smoltz would be on both. Uh, Derek Lowe was on both because remember he was a closer for the Red Sox uh, for one year and then a 20-game winner another. A name you probably wouldn't expect to be on there would be Rich Gossage. But he was. And it basically, the entire tone of Gossage's career and his very legacy hinged upon what happened after the 1976 season. Now, as most of us think of Gossage, we think of him as, you know, at least people my age, my first memories of him were as a Yankee, and then he went to San Diego, and he was the pitcher on the mound when the Yankees won the World Series in 1978, but probably more important for his legacy in New York, he was the guy who got the final outs of the Bucky Dent game. Now, he actually let up a couple of runs in that game. And if it wasn't for that play that Lou Pinella made in the ninth inning, he probably would have gotten a blown save and probably have been burned in effigy in New York because he came in and replaced a very popular closer in Sparky Lyle. But he you know, became beloved Yankee, his Yankee and his Hall of Fame plaque and everything like that. Surprisingly, they never retired 54. They retired every other damn number in Yankee Stadium, but not 54. I digress. Uh, and then he goes to San Diego and breaks Cubs hearts fans in 1984 by clinching that pennant. Um, the, the highlight that people show of Gossage in 1984 is letting up that home run to Kurt Gibson that basically broke the back of the Padres in the World Series. But, you know, the Padres were in the damn World Series, and so that's that's got to go for something. But he was a product of the White Sox organization. He came up from the White Sox, from Colorado. He's native of Colorado. And in 1975, he made his first all-star team as a member of the White Sox. He led the league with 26 saves, uh, and he pitched uh, 141 innings. So again, he was, he was better than two innings in appearance pitching for the Chicago White Sox that year. He was 23 years old, and it was the, the, the logic of the time I mean, yes, you had fingers, and you had uh, you know Tug McGraw and several other players who were relievers who were starting to come to prominence. But you're a 23-year-old kid who's a fireballer, 23-year-old kid who is pitching well, and are you going to waste him in the bullpen? And the Chicago White Sox in 1976, under the new ownership, it was a weird year for the White Sox. They were bought by uh, Bill Veck. They almost moved to Seattle. Vec brought him in, brought, you know, kept him in Chicago, and they had a rotten year in 1976. There's a lot of familiar names 
on that team, names that are usually associated with other players, you know, other, I mean, with other organizations like, you know, you know, Bucky Dent was on that team and, and uh, Brian Downing was on that team and Jack Brohammer, future Red Sox was on that team. Uh, but, you know, Pete Vukovic was on that team. Clay Carroll, there's a lot of names on there that, that you would associate with other, with other uh, teams. But Rich Gossage was moved to the rotation. Dave Hamilton became the closer. Dave Hamilton, uh, former Oakland A pitcher who pitched in, for several of the World Series, including 1972, uh, and was kind of a spot starter reliever. He moved into the closer role, and Rich Gossage became a starting pitcher. Now, at first blush, if, you, if all you're interested in is uh, wins and losses, he was 9-17. How good could he be? But he made 29 starts, pitched 224 innings that year, and pitched well because the team stunk. That team stunk in 1976. The Chicago White Sox were a 90-some-odd loss team that year. But put into the starting rotation, his first game of the year pitched a complete game victory. And, you know, nine innings, nine strikeouts. Oddly, he came in out of the bullpen in another game like shortly afterwards, but then was inserted back to the rotation. Pitched eight innings, one game, eight innings, another game, eight innings, no earned runs, 10 strikeouts. Naturally, he got the loss. Uh, later, he pitched 11 and two-thirds innings. 11 and two-thirds innings. Two runs. Naturally, he got the loss. But he pitched nine innings the next inning, nine innings the next game, eight innings the next game, nine innings, nine innings, seven. If you look at his lines that he had, even in some of his losses, seven innings, nine innings, eight innings, all year long, he was putting up big numbers. Twice he pitched extra innings. In a 2-1 to victory against the California Angels, he pitched all 10 innings, letting up just one run along the way. And around the All-Star break, he may have had a losing record of 5-7, and seven, but he posted a 2.91 earned run average and was putting up really, really big numbers. And by all accounts, I don't know how advanced metrics were working in 1976. I don't know how people were looking beyond the 9-7 and seven record. The fact that he made the All-Star team made someone realize, hey, look, at he's pitching well. He's having a good year. It's not his fault. As Paul Richards kept him in the rotation, and along the way, he completed 15 games. He saved one. I'm not sure when that happened. But he was now a 24-year-old who broke in as a reliever, showed his worth, and now was an all-star starter. Now, I'm going to give you another person who had a similar uh, start to their career was Jim Palmer. Jim Palmer broke in and was used as a relief pitcher initially by Earl Weaver and showed his worth and then became uh, a, a mainstay in the starting rotation. Later on, pitchers like Oral Hershiser and Jimmy Key, and for that matter, Chris Sale and Adam Wainwright 
were broken in as relief pitchers and then became workhorses out of the rotation. It does not take much foresight to see that that could have been the destiny of Rich Gossage. A 24-year-old kid shows he could be a workhorse, pitch well on a team that's not that great. Hell, a team that stinks. And you look and say, look at the value this guy brings to the table. Look at what this guy brings to the table. Now, what happened was he was traded to a star-studded deep team, that being the Pittsburgh Pirates, who had a need in the bullpen, and they inserted him in. And it was a deal involving Richie Zisk. Zisk came to the White Sox. Gossage went to the Pirates. And he, again, became an all-star reliever again and went up to a free agency. And Steinbrenner drooled at the idea of having a Cy Young Award-winning reliever in Sparky Lyle and an all-star reliever in Rich Gossage for the deepest bullpen anyone ever saw. Well, that isn't exactly what happened, but ultimately the Yankees won the World Series. But think about what would have been Rich Gossage's career if the one year of being a relief pitcher was marked as that was a young man breaking into the majors. Now he's found his home in the rotation. And then from that point, he's a workhorse. He gives you 200 innings a year. He finishes, you know, 10, 15 games. He's someone you hand the ball to from the beginning, and he finishes it. Yeah, you'd see Rich Gossage on the mound at the end of the game, but he pitched the previous eight innings too. The entire point of view that we have of Gossage is based upon him being a reliever. Do you think of Oral Hershiser that way? Or Palmer or Key? Or Sale? Or Wainwright? Granted, Wainwright and uh, Hershiser got big postseason saves along the way. You know, so did... Uh, uh, Clayton Kershaw, and um, you know Greg Maddox, for that matter. But the way we look at it, the, the absolute reputation of Rich Gossage is based upon how he is used out of the bullpen. And that almost didn't happen. Now, would that have mean that we would not have seen relievers unfold in the way they did or would it mean there would be a different superstar it would Steinbrenner have been drooling over Rich Gossage if he was a good solid innings eating starting pitcher instead of a big sexy relief pitcher I don't know and neither do you but the old fogey point of view did not kick in for Rich Gossage in my day, you hand the ball, you go nine. Instead of more advanced point of view, you said, hey, he may have more value spreading out those great performances over a number of games as opposed to 30 starts. He gets to be in about 50, 60 games. Now, whether or not you agree with that analysis, that's a whole different bag of tomatoes. But that thinking began and the, the evolution of the bullpen was pushed forward by stars like Gossage emerging. And because of that, we look at a career that could have zigged or possibly could have zagged. It went one way where he became an all-star trend-setting reliever 
And it could have gone a different way, where he could have been an old-fashioned workhorse. Either way, he's my card of the day. So, go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. Remember, everything I just said eventually will be laughable, because time will move forward. If you want to be really, really old school, write me a postcard. i got to come up with an address so you can write me a postcard. But I'm not going to give you my home address. I don't know who the hell you are. Uh, the music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Looking at the ways that we see the past, this has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for the 27th day of January 2017. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. Yeah.